Welcome back to Ball with Y'all. It's another gorgeous Thursday here in South Florida, and we've got a full show on tap for you all today. We're so glad to have you joining us today. As always, if you support our mission here at Ball with Y'all, please be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review if your preferred platform allows so that we can continue to grow and develop as a program. Also, you can check us out on Instagram at Ball With Y'all Podcast for some more content throughout the week as well. There's a lot that happens between Mondays and Thursdays, so that's the best way to keep up to date on all things college sports. It's been somewhat of a busy week in the college sports world, but before we get into any of the news, I do have a bone to pick with a certain fan base, and this fan base represents a large majority of our listeners, and I actually represent this fan base myself. And traditionally, I wouldn't necessarily talk about this fan base in such a broad capacity, but I feel like it's due, especially after the week that we've had. For some reason, I have heard a number of Alabama fans being ridiculously dramatic after a, an incredible win, I would say, just a few days ago. It's incredible because, uh, you know, listen to all these Alabama fans. It reminds me of my dog. Some of you might even know my dog if you know me personally. His name is Nicholas, and his brother's name is Bear. Good luck trying to figure out where those two names came from. It's not too difficult. But Nicholas, he's a very loud dog. He's a Pomeranian, right? A little small dog. I would say he's around seven or eight pounds. And if you have a Chihuahua or any other sort of small dog, you're probably, you can resonate with what I'm about to say, that sometimes they are just annoying. And I say that knowing that he's about four feet away from me right now, knowing that he hears me fully right now, knowing he's probably rolling his eyes saying, listen, I'm not that loud. But listen, if it starts to rain, or if it's thundering, or whatever else, he goes into full panic mode. If he hears the garbage truck rolling down the street, he goes into full panic mode. His bark is louder than any yell that I would have during an Alabama football game. And every single time, whenever he barks because there's thunder outside, or whenever he barks because he hears something outside, and it's always nothing of significance, right? You know, I don't really care that it's thundering, I don't really care that it's raining, but he always does it to let me know that that thing is happening, right? And every single time I say, hey, listen, Nicholas, it's not a big deal. And here we are. I've heard a number of Alabama fans since they beat the Florida Gators 31 to 29 down in Gainesville. Them saying that was not an impressive win. that They are concerned about their team. Yes, absolutely. I understand that there were things that were not great about that game, right? There were a number of mistakes made by the Alabama Crimson Tide on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I saw a stat the other day saying that Alabama is one of the worst teams when it comes to penalties. When it comes to flags thrown by the officials, Alabama is one of the worst disciplined teams out there. So we definitely saw that Alabama is is not, they're not invincible, right? We thought maybe going into that game, after watching them play against Miami, after watching them play against Mercer, that they, they could not be stopped, that they were flawless. Well, now, of course, we saw that there are flaws in the shield, that there are areas that they are vulnerable. Yes, for sure. But I have heard so many Alabama fans over the past few days freaking out because they have not experienced a close game in that manner in the regular season in quite some time. And for whatever reason, they seem to think that all of a sudden now that for whatever reason, Alabama does not deserve the number one ranking, that the world is just falling apart because of a two point win. And it's incredible because if you listen to Dan Mullen, the head coach of Florida after the game, he was saying, listen, there were so many great things that we could take away from that. That's a two-point loss, and they're over here basically celebrating a two-point loss. And then you look at the Alabama sideline. For whatever reason, not winning by more than 15 points is viewed as a loss. Not covering the spread, which at that point in time was 15, 14 and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood. Not covering that spread is viewed as a loss. Not scoring more than 40 points 
is viewed as a loss. But in reality, that was a big moment. I talked a little bit earlier in the season about how, first off, I didn't expect this team to do well. I didn't expect them to, I still don't expect them necessarily to win a championship, but that's another story for another day. And they went in there with so much, so much youth, so much uncertainty, the fifth largest crowd in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium history and came out with a two-point win. And yes, they were inconsistent. Yes, there were penalties. Yes, there were mistakes. Yes, the defense did not play to the standard that we have come to expect. But they won. So yes, while there are areas of concern, while if I'm an Alabama fan, uh, I'd be very worried about Ole Miss in about nine days, ten days, right? There are absolutely areas that you can pinpoint and say that's not ideal. For sure. Especially if you come off a year just a year ago where they had their first undefeated season since I believe 2010, 2009, that neighborhood when Greg McElroy was the quarterback. So just like my dog, Nicholas, who just yaps and yaps and yaps because he hears something and he's freaked out about it and he's panicking. All these Alabama fans that are freaking out and panicking over a two point win need to just push on the brakes just a tad. To quote Aaron Rodgers after a lackluster start to his season, I want to say in 2014 or so, and he said, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. And I would like to echo that sentiment today for any Alabama fan that is freaking out over a two-point win. Yes, not ideal. Yes, a lot of concerns, a lot of question marks, and so on. But please relax. If things don't get better in nine days' time when they face off against the Ole Miss Rebels in Tuscaloosa, feel free. Go ahead. Make as much noise as you'd like. But you won by two points on the road in a hostile environment, in a situation where your quarterback has never been in a true road environment like that. That's a big win in my book. And traditionally speaking, when Alabama makes that many mistakes in a game, you think of, for example, the Iron Bowl in 2019, or even the LSU game back in 2019 when they lost at the buzzer, basically. They lost those games because they made so many mistakes. And traditionally, when you have a game like that, where Alabama makes so many mistakes, they do lose that game. So the fact they were able to pull that off speaks to the caliber of that program. Like I said, if we're still having this conversation in two weeks about Alabama still being lackluster, I, we can entertain it then. But for now, just relax, Bama Nation, please. For everyone's sanity, you're okay. You're still one of the best teams in the country. Moving forward from all that nonsense for the Alabama faithful, we have had the SEC schedules for 2022 released earlier this week. There's a number of prominent, fun, non-conference games that are on the schedule. Of course, we knew about all of these ahead of time, but... Pretty cool to see when they fit in the schedule and how you all can better prepare, say, for fall weddings or whatever else when you're going to sit at home and not do anything next fall. So we start off with week zero. We've got Vanderbilt going to visit Hawaii. A pretty fun game there. And I don't necessarily know that we've seen that in recent history. So pretty cool to see. Week one, we're loaded, just like we were this year. We've got Cincinnati, a ranked team, a highly ranked team this year, visiting Arkansas, who's also a ranked team right now. It'll be interesting to see how those two teams play out come next season also have the utah utes going down to gainesville to play the florida gators the urban meyer bowl that will be a lot of fun to watch we also have a rematch of this past week's game between the mississippi state bulldogs and the memphis tigers this time it'll be in starkville so that'll be a good one to catch also a pretty big one happening down in atlanta two of the nation's top three teams right now the georgia bulldogs will be taking on the oregon ducks in atlanta so a little bit of a home field advantage for the georgia bulldogs but i would still say a very fun game to start the season also we have lsu 
and Florida State. We don't really know what to expect from either team. We know that Ed Orgeron, he's a little bit on the hot seat right now for LSU. And then, of course, Florida State is one of the nine remaining winless FBS teams right now. So that could be a really good game, or it could be a game where the two programs are just trying to reestablish themselves. In week two, we have the Alabama Crimson Tide visiting the Texas Longhorns. This is the first regular season matchup between the two programs since 1922, and then also the first meeting between the two programs since their showdown in the national championship game in 2010. We also have Missouri at Kansas State, as well as the rematch between Tennessee and Pittsburgh. Week three, we've got a game we just saw not too long ago. Penn State visiting the Auburn Tigers down in the plains. We've also got Ole Miss. They'll be going over to Atlanta to play the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Miami, the Miami Hurricanes, just down the road from me, will be going up to play the Texas A&M Aggies in College Station. Week seven, we've got a first ever meeting between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the BYU Cougars. And then in week 10, we've got Arkansas facing off with yet another non-conference opponent in the form of the Liberty Flames at home this time around. There's also a few rough stretches when it comes to SEC play for a few of these teams looking at Auburn. From week three to week seven, they get Penn State, Missouri, Georgia, and Ole Miss. Arkansas, in the span of just six weeks, they get BYU, Auburn, Liberty, LSU, and they wrap up with Ole Miss as well. Now, granted, they do have a bye week following that BYU game, but still a very tough stretch for the Razorbacks nonetheless. And then also sticking in the West, we've got Texas A&M from week two to week six. They have Appalachian State, which is always a tough game. We saw that earlier this season when the Hurricanes played them down in Miami. They've got the Miami Hurricanes I just talked about, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Alabama. So quite a rough stretch for the Texas A&M Aggies as well. Moving on from next season, I think it's more important that we focus on this season, of course. When you look at the games for this weekend, there are no top 10 matchups, but there still are a number of meaningful games. Looking at our record over the year, we are continuing to improve. We went 3-5 and five against the spread last week and 6-2 and two straight up. On the year, we are 8-16 and 16 against the spread and 14-10 and 10 straight up. I like where we're headed. Hopefully, we hit on some more of this week's picks. There are a lot of favorable point spreads from Vegas this week that I, I like a good bit. So let's take a look at this week's eight most notable games. We're going to start off with the number two Georgia Bulldogs. They are a 32 and a half point favorite visiting the Vanderbilt Commodores up in Tennessee. The over-under is sitting at 55 and a half. Georgia, of course, leads the all-time series 58-20 and 2. The most recent Vanderbilt win in the series came back in 2016, so about five years ago. Georgia opened SEC play last week with a very strong showing, thrashing the South Carolina Gamecocks. Their defense has only allowed one touchdown this year, and they've also scored twice themselves. JT Daniels is healthy once again, and he is spreading the wealth. Just last week, he got the ball to nine different receivers. I struggle to imagine Vanderbilt scoring more than once or twice in this game, given Georgia's defense. So I think that Georgia is a whole different animal. I think they win, they win big, and they don't get caught looking ahead to what will be a massive game in just one week's time against the Arkansas Razorbacks. I'll say Georgia wins, they cover, and the under hits will go 45-6 Bulldogs. From one Bulldog to another, we're going to go over to Mississippi State. They are hosting the LSU Tigers. LSU is a four-point favorite on the road. The over-under is sitting around 56 points. 
we are one year removed from when Mississippi State upset LSU in week one, only a few months after the Tigers had won their national championship. The two different teams are headed in very different directions, although they are in somewhat similar positions. Both teams, I believe, need a win to prove their worth after surprising losses early. Mississippi State, they struggled out of the gate. We've talked about that before, but they impressed against NC State, and they also impressed even in a loss against the Memphis Tigers. That Memphis loss, it came down to mistakes. If you don't turn the ball over, if you don't have some boneheaded special teams plays, you win the game and you're 3-0. But instead, of course, they lost. Mississippi State, their passing game is ridiculous. Quarterback Will Rogers, he is setting records for both completions and attempts in a game. I mentioned earlier this week that I believe that LSU is improving. Their passing game is in fact getting there. Their defense is starting to tighten up. I believe now they're at 22 points a game, 303 yards a game. So they're doing better, but I just don't think that they have improved enough. On paper alone, Mississippi State has looked better than LSU beyond week one, of course. And barring mistakes, I believe that they are in fact the better team. I'll say that the Bulldogs win here, they cover, and the over hits. Let's go 34-28 Mississippi State. Moving over to what is not an SEC game, but still a game that I've talked about the Clemson Tigers a good bit on this show, and I feel like it's it's fitting to finally talk about their team in this episode here. We've got the number nine Clemson Tigers. They are a 12-point favorite on the road at NC State. The over-under is sitting around 48 and a half. These two teams last played in 2019 when Clemson had their largest margin of victory in the series, 55 to 10. Clemson has won eight straight against the Wolfpack, dating back to 2012, and their defense has not allowed a touchdown through three games, and that's the first time since 1990. While the defense has been impressive, the offense has been far from impressive. Of course, we all remember the Georgia game week one last week. Clemson played the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and they were downright disturbing on the offensive side of the ball. They can't afford to be cute in this one. They cannot afford to do just enough to beat the Wolfpack. They need to come out and be impressive. Speaking of impressive, NC State has also been impressive this year. They haven't allowed a rushing touchdown yet. In their one notable game, though, NC State got trounced by that good Mississippi State team that I mentioned, 24-10 in Starkville. NC State has come close in recent years to getting Clemson, to just coming just on top, but they haven't gotten the job done. Clemson has not won against the spread this year. I believe that that trend stops here. I see them reminding us who they are. With them winning, them covering, and the overhitting, we'll go 38-17 Clemson. Moving on up the coast, we've got Missouri in a non-conference game facing off against Boston College. This game, Missouri is a two and a half point favorite on the road. The over-under is sitting at 59 points. This is the first ever meeting between the two schools. Missouri, though, they've, they've lost four of their last five road games, so the precedent here is not strong. Their quarterback, Connor Bazelak, he's done well this year. He's thrown around 67% of his passes complete. He's got just short of 900 yards, around nine touchdowns, and only one interception through three games. Missouri has also averaged a little less than 200 yards on the ground as well, but their defense has been an area of concern. They're allowing more than 450 yards a game and north of 28 points per game as well. Boston College is seeking their first 4-0 start since the 2007 season. 
but those wins have come against Colgate, UMass, and Temple. So there's not a whole lot that we can discern there. Those obviously are not the most impressive wins to date. Boston College's rushing game, though it's top 30 right now, so that's pretty impressive, and their defense is by far their strength. But just like last week when we looked at Auburn-Penn State, I'm looking at great offense versus great defense in a tough environment. Although I was wrong last week in picking offense over defense and picking Auburn over Penn State, for some reason, I will stick with offense this week as well. I'll go Missouri winning with them covering and the under hitting 31-26 Tigers. Moving down to a big game, a big conference game in South Carolina, we've got the Kentucky Wildcats, a four and a half point favorite, visiting the South Carolina Gamecocks. The over-under is sitting around 51 and a half points. Carolina leads the series 18-13-1, but Kentucky won last year and they've won six of the last seven. Now we all saw that Kentucky did not look good last week in a slight win against Chattanooga. This is the first SEC road start for Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis. He, of course, he is a Penn State transfer, and he had two interceptions last week, so he doesn't have a lot of momentum going into South Carolina. Kentucky has also been turnover prone with Levis at the helm. They are minus six on the turnover margin this season, and they have trailed on turnovers all three games played this year. The rushing attack will be key for South Carolina in 2020 when they played the Kentucky Wildcats. Running back Kevin Harris, he ran for 210 yards on 21 carries. This year, Harris has been pretty underwhelming with only 55 yards on 23 carries. There's still a good deal of uncertainty at quarterback for South Carolina. Zeb Norland, who was a grad assistant, he went out with an injury against the Georgia Bulldogs last week and Luke Doty came in. But regardless of the quarterback situation, we know that both teams are coming off of ugly performances. So who needs this more? Who needs to impress? Neither program has really impressed us offensively or defensively. So who needs this game more? I look at next week, Kentucky, they're playing the Florida Gators. Carolina, they have Troy, so they'll be fine. I think Kentucky needs this game more, knowing that they cannot afford a loss here. For what will likely be a loss next week, I'll say that Kentucky protects the ball, they win and cover with the overhitting, will go 23-17 Wildcats. We'll continue moving down the coast here with Tennessee going to visit the number 11 Florida Gators. Florida is a 22-point favorite. The over-under is sitting around 67 and a half. Florida has done rather well in this series as of late. They've won four straight against Tennessee, and they are 15-1 and against Tennessee since 2005. So this has been a very lopsided series, to say the least. As I ranted about earlier, Florida is coming off probably the best loss in recent memory. They showed us just how good their rushing attack is against Alabama with a 244 yards and four touchdowns. And with that in mind, this will absolutely be the first real test for the Volunteers defense this year. They allowed 96 rushing yards to Pittsburgh, but that was the same Pittsburgh that lost to Western Michigan a week ago. There is uncertainty at quarterback for Florida. We've talked about it before with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. And now there's also uncertainty at quarterback for the Tennessee Volunteers. They might have Joe Milton start. They might have Hendon Hooker start. Neither one has been decidedly more impressive throughout the season. So don't really know what that will look like. Look at Tennessee. They're stronger at wide receivers. But the only problem is they don't know who the quarterback will be that will get that player the ball to make a play in space. Before the Alabama game, admittedly, I saw this being a much closer game. Now, with that in the past... I would absolutely say that UF just takes out 
its frustrations on the Tennessee Volunteers here. There's no hangover here. I see Florida winning, them covering, and the under hitting 38-20 Gators. And now on to our final two games of the week, the two biggest games of the week. We've got number 12, Notre Dame, playing number 18, Wisconsin, at Soldier Field. It's a five-and-a-half-point favorite are the Wisconsin Badgers. The over-under sitting around 47-and-a-half. College game day will be in town for this game, and it's a big enough game that I am told that Dylan from New Jersey, we had him on about a week or two ago, he has called in again to talk about his fighting Irish. Dylan, what do you got for us? Hey, Sean. It's Dylan again. You know why I'm calling Notre Dame versus Wisconsin Shamrock Series. Coming off a pretty good win against Boiler, the Purdue Boilermakers. You know, we actually won by a couple touchdowns this time. Brian Kelly, our coach, didn't threaten to kill anybody. You know, we actually ran the ball a little bit. Um, you know, I still don't like how we're sh- switching out quarterbacks. You know, taking Cone out, putting in the true freshman. I don't like that. You know how I feel about him. Want to get your thoughts on this week, man. 5.5 underdogs, that's that's a little shaky, man. W- what do I do there? Um, that's That line is a little – it's probably going to go up a little higher as we get closer to the week. I mean, do I stay away from the game? Do I bet it? Do I not? I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I get it where the way we've been playing, we probably deserve it. But, man, to put us as a 5.5 underdog against Wisconsin – I I don't like that. I mean, they played Eastern Michigan, and I mean they they, they blew them out. But Wisconsin, what I'm worried about is their defensive line. They're they're, they're seven. They're top seven. They got some guys on there. They got a couple linebackers that are probably going to be in the NFL next couple of years. But that front seven overall, they're really good. I mean, this is it right here. Make or break it. I I feel like if we lose this game, Kelly just basically punched his ticket out the door. That, that, and that, that's a hard take for me. But I, I feel like if he loses this game, we lose against Wisconsin in the Shamrock Series. Game like this, national TV is not going to be on Peacock TV. We lose this game, it's all over for us. It's only downhill. Feel free. Tell me your thoughts. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for the call, Dylan. Before I, I get into some of what you just talked about, I feel it's important to acknowledge that we've had a number of people reach out saying that they'd like to call into the show as well. Dylan has been an early adopter on that, and we do appreciate that, of course. And for those of you that have expressed interest, we would love to have all of you on the show as well. If you've got a hot take, a gripe, a concern, praise, or whatever else that you'd like to share with us and share with our listeners, send us an email. It should be in the description of this episode, and we will get you on the show. So now to address some of what Dylan talked about. Of course, this game, like I said, taking place in Soldier Field in Chicago. This is the first leg of a tough three-game stretch for Notre Dame. They also have Cincinnati, and then they go to Blacksburg to play the Virginia Tech Hokies. The programs, these two programs, Wisconsin and Notre Dame, only separated by a 241-mile drive, but there's not a whole lot of history between these two teams. This is the only, the 17th game between the two programs, the first since 1964. I don't know how much it matters, but Notre Dame won that game. In 1964, so they are on a one-game win streak. Pretty cool to see, I must say. Turnovers will be huge for both teams. Notre Dame, they nearly lost to Toledo because of turnovers. And Wisconsin have ultimately lost to Penn State because of turnovers. Although, as of late, both teams have done pretty well in cleaning that up and cleaning up their turnovers in recent weeks. Wisconsin is coming off of a bye week, like I said earlier this week, with Notre Dame, five of their next opponents, all five, coming off of bye weeks. The same is true for Wisconsin. 
they're well rested. Head coach Paul Christ for the Badgers is 5-3 when coming off of a bye week. Notre Dame has not run the ball well at all. And Wisconsin has an incredible front seven like Dylan talked about. They're only allowing 1.8 yards per carry thus far. For Notre Dame, their passing attack, Jack Cohn, he's playing his former team. He transferred away from Wisconsin after he lost his starting job. So that's a great deal of motivation. He is the ex-girlfriend that was unwanted. And now he's down for the Fighting Irish, coming back to play against his former team. That is a great deal of motivation. But motivation alone will not win them this game. I think the injuries and the inconsistency, it finally bites Notre Dame. I say that Wisconsin wins, they cover, and the under hits will go 24-13 Wisconsin. And then our last game of the week, the CBS game of the week taking place in AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. We've got the number seven Texas A&M Aggies. They're a five-point favorite taking on the number 17 Arkansas Razorbacks. The over-under is sitting around 44 and a half. Now, this game, like I said, it's a big moment. A&M is on a nine-game win streak in the series, and they have not lost to Arkansas since entering the SEC. For some reason, though, Arkansas always plays A&M close, even when they weren't a good team. Since 2009, only two of their games between these two teams have been decided by more than a touchdown. And we all know that A&M's quarterback situation is not exactly the most ideal right now, particularly with Haynes King being out due to that fractured leg. Arkansas, their quarterback situation is a little bit more promising. K.J. Jefferson, he has improved as a passer, and his strength is in the running game. Some have even compared him to a Cam Newton style of quarterback. He's averaging 8.6 yards per carry through the first three games. Texas A&M, though, their defense has not allowed a point since the first quarter in week two when they visited the Colorado Buffaloes. Their run defense, though, they have struggled. They allowed 226 yards in week one and 171 in week two. Arkansas, like I mentioned, with the quarterback particularly, they are earning 240 rushing yards a game, including 333 in week two against the Texas Longhorns. I'm kind of surprising myself here. I wouldn't have said this a month ago. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I said Arkansas was not a good team. And now here I am picking Arkansas to win the game against the number seven Texas A&M Aggies. I'll go Arkansas winning, covering, and the overhitting 27-21 Razorbacks. To recap, we're going Georgia, Mississippi State, Clemson, Missouri, Kentucky, Florida, Wisconsin, and Arkansas. Like I said earlier, there are not a ton of premier games this week, but I can promise you we'll walk out of this weekend with quite a lot to talk about. And as you know already, we will be here on Monday to discuss it all. So I encourage you, please enjoy your Saturday, enjoy the games this weekend, and we will catch y'all next week. Mm-hmm.